Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show. Want to hear something else really scary? It's Christmas shopping and layaway season. Now I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It is the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly pipe smoking broadcast. And I am your host, Brian Levine, back on solid land. And, uh, well, we're going to be back up in the air again tomorrow. Uh, anyway, in uh, pipe parts, hey, uh, tonight we're going to talk about the shape of the bowl. Not the outside of it, but the inside of the shape of the bowl. My guest tonight is uh, Ronnie B. of Tennessee. We're going to have Ronnie back on. Got a whole bunch of notes and stuff to talk to Ronnie, see what, catch up with him. And we're going to spend some time talking about uh, tobacco in particular. So uh, a lot of good stuff to get through there. Uh, music, mailbag, and rant, all that coming up in tonight's episode of the Pipes Magazine radio show. Um, and yes, I am back on dry land, back from a week of uh, drinking on the high seas and I uh, have to say that the cruise overall was a success. I uh, managed to listen to this, figure this one out. So the uh, drink package that came for free with the cabin was, included alcoholic drinks up to a value of $15 per drink. As many as I wanted, anytime I wanted. Right? Got it? All right. So for, but it didn't include the specialty coffee shop. Uh, $2 Americanos, $1.75 espressos, lattes, all that stuff. Uh, free coffee was to be had in the room or up at the buffet, and it was decent. But if I wanted a specialty coffee, like a good Americano, I uh, had to pay $2 extra. However, what I did find out, <laughs> there's a bar right next to the coffee shop that uh, makes the Americanos, and if you go over there and order an Irish coffee that was on the on the menu for ten bucks, they walked next door, got an Americano, poured a shot of Jameson in it, put some whipped cream on top, and that was an Irish coffee, and that was included for free. So, guess what I had after my two or three regular cups of coffee in the morning? Yeah, about 11, 30, 12 o'clock. Not, not too bad of a time for an Irish coffee. Um, anyway, got a couple of uh, things to talk about, more rant-related, and I may do those. Uh, yeah, we'll go ahead and do those this week. So stay tuned all the way to the end for uh, cruise-related rant. Not nearly as long as the first one I did. Okay, everybody, let's get the show rolling. Sit back, relax, fire up a bowl. Thank you all for tuning in, and thank you to the Sutliff Tobacco Company. And here we go. Italians have always been known for their aesthetic passion. It's their birthright, their legacy. And just like Savinelli, it continues to grow and evolve. It is ever-changing. Milan, 1876. Achille Savinelli set out to change the way the world viewed smoking pipes, opening one of the world's first specialist tobacco shops. From one small storefront to a factory that delivered handmade pipes all over the world, the legacy he forged became one filled with success and prestige. Achilles' dream is carried on today by his family, who continues the Savinelli legacy. Each year, Savinelli debuts a series of new, forward-thinking designs, comprised of quality-crafted pipes shaped from some of the best briar in the world. Behind every beautiful object, there's a story. Start your own chapter. Visit your local tobacconist or premium online dealer today. 
Welcome back. In just a few minutes, Ronnie B. In the meantime, I don't think I've covered this uh, specifically, but I've been thinking about it, especially after a couple of weeks ago where I talked about different packing techniques of tobacco for the different styles of loose-cut tobaccos. Um, well, the bowl, the interior of the bowl, and we're just dealing with the interior of the bowl, as near as I can tell, and keep in mind I'm not uh, not real sharp at this because I don't know much about pipe making, but I am the leading expert on my own opinion. Uh, there's three different types of shapes of the bowl. Uh, the first one is a bowl that V's in, and you'll see, you know, continuously comes in and gets narrower towards the bottom. Looks like a V. Most traditionally, you'll see those in a uh, in a Dublin shape. Uh, sometimes you'll see it in a bulldog, and it's because it has to work with the bottom of the shape of the exterior of the bowl. The second one is a, uh, in a, in a more common place, is a bowl that is uh, parallel all the way down, and then towards the bottom of the bowl, it starts to round out. So it gives kind of like a U shape to it. So you got a V and a U, and it and it gives a little roundness, and that's kind of to help meet the uh, the bottom of the bowl with the draft hole. Uh, the third kind, which is the least common of what I've seen, and I've maybe some of you will know where you see it more than I do, but I'm thinking it's more in a factory shape. But it's a very it's a flat bottom bowl, so the parallel walls come all the way down, and then the bowl just really flattens out real sharply. Um, you know, comes down past the draft hole, flattens out real sharply, real quickly. Now, when you're when you're packing these bowls, of course, on a V-shaped bowl, all the tobacco up above is going to filter through the tobacco on the bottom. So you want to pack that bottom portion much lighter than you would any other any other shape. Uh, the reason I say that again is because as it filters through and you get less and less tobacco, you're going to get a more and more intense taste a more and more intense experience as it gets tighter all that smoke from above is already filtered all the way through all that the the lessening amount of tobacco on the bottom and it's just gonna see so you just want to pack that bottom lighter because you don't want that whole thing to get real intense and real uh real compact uh the other thing that you're going to have a hard time doing also is kind of uh, smoking that all the way to the bottom because eventually you're going to get to the point where you know it's just gotten so muddy and so wet that you can't really get it going uh, especially if it's an aromatic blend you're just not going to be able to get it going because it's just too muddy too dense and you'll find out that you're gonna you know you're gonna dump out the bottom of that the bottom little portion of that all right in a u-shaped bowl which is optimum in my opinion um the U-shape, you can kind of pack it however you like the tobacco to work because it's only the bottom eighth or tenth of the bowl that's really affected by the change in the bowl walls. Um, and that is, I mean, just optimum to me because you get a consistent smoke all the way down. And then when you get down around that U, that's where it starts to curve in. And you're not going to want to smoke that down there anyway. All right, the flat bottom bowl is where you run into more problems than anything because again it's going to be it it's going to come straight flat down it's going to come down below the draft hole and you're going to have tobacco on the front side of the bowl b 
be below the draft hole. You're not going to be able to smoke the bottom of that real well because you're going to have tobacco all the way around in there, and it's just going to make it really difficult. I do think, though, it is a little bit easier for uh, for a pipe maker or a factory in particular to make that flat bottom, bring the draft hole in, boom, you're done. Uh, where I see that more often is uh, in the machine maids, but in some of these poker-shaped pipes that some people are making, or you know that that have become really popular, you'll see that bottom of that bowl just kind of flatten out real quick, and that means that whatever tobacco is at the draft hole or below it, you're never really going to be able to smoke it, nor do you really want to. Uh, this the tobacco on top going to be perfectly fine. So what I would suggest you do is, as you're packing it. Uh, maybe leave the pipe cleaner in the stem and all the way into the bowl to leave that air hole in there and pack the tobacco in a flat bottom bowl, pack it with the pipe cleaner in place and that pipe cleaner will help keep a canal there. And then just be careful not to tamp real heavy. So you get that canal down there where the air hole, where the tobacco or the smoke can come through easily and just don't tamp real heavy so you don't push it down and push through it. If you do tamp heavy, on any of these, take a pipe cleaner, run it all the way into the bottom of the bowl, and that'll help clear out that air hole. All right, in just a minute, uh, Ronnie B. will be on the phone. This is Internet Radio. Craftsmanship, history, tradition. These are the hallmarks of all quality products. From the finest wines bottled in France to the most highly engineered automobiles manufactured in Germany, Denmark has been the one country in the world where craftsmanship, history and tradition have for centuries created the finest pipe tobaccos in the world. Since 1887, the Halberg family have led the pipe tobacco industry through their ownership of Mac Baron Tobacco Company, and they continue to create the most sought-after blends in the world today, just as they did over 100 years ago. In keeping with their long history of providing the world with the best tobacco on earth, Mac Barron is proud to announce their newest creation, Modern Virginia, as a loose-cut version and a flake version. Bright and dark, rich Virginia tobaccos have been combined with just a hint of burley for strength in this soft and smooth smoke with delicious fruit undertones. As the world leader in flake tobacco production, Mac Barron is sure that this blend will appeal to the true connoisseurs of traditional Virginia flake tobacco, as well as those who like their tobaccos on the sweeter side. Enjoy the culmination of centuries of experience by picking up a tin of modern Virginia from Mac Barron Tobacco Company. Available at fine tobacconists everywhere. Welcome back to the Pipes Magazine radio show and joining us for a bit of uh, fun, excitement, update, and uh, whatever else we're going to get into is my uh, old dear friend, and I say old comma dear friend, uh, Ronnie B. from Tennessee, the, uh, well, I don't know, we'll update everybody on what you're doing, so um, welcome to the show, and uh, tell us, how did you get involved in pipe smoking at the at the start? Well, uh, this current uh, episode <laughs> uh, began in uh, 2000. I tried being a pipe smoker back in the 70s when my, uh, at that time, wife was a student at the University of Tennessee. So, uh, and uh, all I was was a poser. I did everything wrong, bought all the wrong pipes, and, uh, 
as anyone might imagine. Uh, uh, when she left, uh, the pipes were not a good reminder, so they went to uh, fast forward to uh, the year 2000. And um, after 35 years of uh, cigarette abuse, uh, I found myself in the uh, VA hospital with uh, bronchial failure. Oops. And uh, naturally, at that point in time, uh, when you have a, a doctor uh, wagging her finger in her nose or your nose and uh, saying, "Hey, uh, <laughs> you want to you want to have that little green bottle tied to you the rest of your life?" Uh, you know, I saw the light, and uh, you know, wasn't hard to quit. Uh, of course, the recuperation took a while. Uh, it was really quite an episode. And and yet a year later, I found myself uh, one day, I just wanted to kill for a Marlboro. I mean, it's like out of the blue, I want a cigarette. <laughs> and at that time, um, I was uh, shooting pool at the local uh, emporium with a friend, and uh, who's, well, a friend whose name is Al Franklin, otherwise known as uh, Bolars S. Bangovich. Yeah. And um, he he uh, told me, he said, well, you've tried uh, both extremes. Uh, why don't you try the middle ground and smoke a pipe? And I was like, well, uh, <laughs> okay, you know so much. I didn't know he'd been smoking for most of his adult life or smoking a pipe. So uh, he put together a little uh, starter kit, you know, a new one. A newbie kit with some basket pipes and tobacco and stuff. And the most important thing is he taught me how to pack a pipe, uh, how to <clears throat> do a, the charring light, and uh, how to smoke a pipe and not be afraid to use a pipe cleaner mid-smoke if I need to. And, uh, you know, the light bulb went off. So uh, that uh, that brought about a, a period of... Um, uh, Peacefulness, I guess I could say, contentment that I hadn't experienced before. So uh, I just, uh, you know, kept going on, and uh, like anybody that may be listening to this, uh, it kind of, uh, kind of exploded exponentially in time. But uh, uh, you know, I guess that's what happens when when you like something. It uh, so, it, uh, it became an all in encumbrancing uh, experience to the point where you didn't eat or sleep until you had all the tobacco and all the pipes in the world. Well, it, um, I, mean, I guess, you know, most anything I touch that I like, you know, you'll get out of hand. <laughs> uh, OCD is probably, uh, should be my legal uh, middle name, but uh, um, I, uh, I have a knack for uh, uh craft work, uh, craftsmanship, fabrication, and I couldn't keep from uh, fooling around with uh, the tobacco pipes I got. I'd heard all about these uh, wonderful dry-smoking pipes, and uh, I wanted to find out uh, what it was like. And uh, one night, uh, about six months after I'd started, uh, Al breaks out this uh, little sandblasted pot and says, uh, here, I think it's about time you smoked a, a good pipe. <laughs> and loaded up in 5100 and uh, I didn't know what the name Conovitz meant at that time <laughs> but uh, by the time I got done with the charring light uh, I knew that I had to find out how this guy Conovitz made a pipe smoke that great <laughs> so that uh, 
that began my uh, my quest to figure out, um, you know, the magic in good smoking pipes. And uh, uh, he uh, graciously let me, uh, you know, do measurements on all the dynamics of the convicts. And I studied uh, a lot of stuff. And uh, the, uh, you know, eventually um, the work I was doing, which is hobby status, uh, was uh, accepted by collectors as being, uh, uh, you know, good work. So I decided in, uh, I think it was August of 03, to actually uh, uh, open up a website and, you know, advertise, hey, I are a pipe repairman. Please send me your work. And then I met you so, in, uh, uh, I met you in October of 03. Uh, what were you... Yeah. Talk about crafts. Uh, what were you doing for a living before that? Oh, man, I was trying to make a living <laughs> repairing watches. <laughs> uh, prior to Pikes, I had accumulated a, uh, a pretty substantial uh, watch shop and uh, supply of watch, uh, vintage watch parts, and uh, which took over my bedroom. And... Uh, uh, it's it's kind of hard to survive when uh, uh, people want to pay you uh, um, Timex prices for uh, Rolex work. Yeah, and uh, it was it was continually becoming a, uh, a no win situation. And, and uh, when I figured out uh, that uh, the pipes were was much more enjoyable, um, you know that. That led me to turn the page, and I'm real glad I did. Hey, I know this is off script, but we've talked about watches several times. Uh, in about uh, 45 seconds, can you suggest some vintage watches that uh, that some of our listeners might look for that are good, reliable, decent watches? Well, if you if you're looking at the Deco period uh, or, or wartime World War II, WW2, the big one. Um, Hamilton made some really nice, solid movements. Um, they they all they were always just very straightforward, uh, sensible to work on, and uh, I always go over for function over form. And uh, I, I really like them. Sixties um, time, uh, in my opinion, Omegas had it down. Uh, the early 60s Omegas are just gorgeous pieces of work. And uh, um, and I'm talking about something that the average person can afford. Uh, my own yeah. preference would be uh, some of the German stuff, uh, Vacheron, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, some things like that. But, uh, you know, I'm talk still talking about affordable, so uh, never mind. Yeah, we're not talking Vasher on IWC, and uh, let's not even talk about uh, Paddock. So, all right, let, let's go back to. Uh, so, the last time we had you on, it was about three years ago. You can go back and listen to that. It was mainly pipe repair focused. What are you doing now, kind of pipe repair wise? Because you've semi or fully or partially or somewhat retired somehow. Well, yeah, I'm doing uh, as little as possible. Um... <laughs> Um, What's different than mainly, before? Mainly to, well, yeah, uh, well, this time uh, I don't have to worry about starving since I am getting 
uh, a retirement that I can uh, actually live on due to my low uh, overhead. But um, no, I um, I don't know. The fund just uh, the fund just went out of repairing, and I'm still trying to clear out the remaining I think dozen pipes I've got that I committed to doing, and uh, I slowly get some work done. But uh, in hindsight now which is always 2020, uh, I realized I needed to get a better perspective on, on what I, um, what I do best, what I'm suited to do and what I like to do. Because, uh, my shop was my second bedroom in my apartment and, uh, it just kind of became a one thing leads to another routine and, uh, the dust control situation never was very good. Excuse me. I got it decent, so I don't have to end up in a hospital, uh, you know, with a respiratory failure. But uh, uh, still, it's not uh, the best, and uh, I've decided that uh, uh, I need to make a wholesale change and, you know, in a sense, start over. So uh, uh, whenever I get the, these pipes out, um, literally, <clears throat> literally take a fire hose to the place. <laughs> clear it out and start over with a good dust control system first and then uh then uh, uh i'm gonna be picky uh about the work uh i well i just admit it i don't like to do refurbishing work um you know most of the time that uh, the pipes are in pretty bad shape uh to be honest with you it takes a lot more work than what i can honestly charged to get it to the point um, that I feel good about a pipe, and that's one reason that I stopped doing it. Um, and Trevor Talbert, incidentally, uh, has written an uh, article in his blog about doing pipe repair and the financial aspect. And if somebody doesn't believe me, go to Trevor Talbert's site and go back in his blog and see what he writes about pipe repair being a great way to starve. <laughs> and uh, you might get some perspective. So uh, anyhow, I'm, I'm going to uh, focus on uh, repair work uh, and know uh, I need this fixed up so I can sell it on eBay stuff um, because the fact is... Um, I do real good work, and uh, I'm not going to do any more um, um, kind of its repairs for Kay Woody prices. I'll put it that way. But if somebody uh, if somebody wants a really good, you know, a perfect or better than original stem for a pipe, you'll hand cut it. But again, you know, when we've when we've heard from every pipe maker, it takes almost as much time to make the stem on a pipe as it does to make the pipe, so it's going to cost. Well, that's the, um, that's the dichotomy of uh, pipes is, excuse me, the uh, difference between manufacture and repair. Yeah. Um, it takes me as long to replicate a pipe stem um, well, maybe a little bit longer than the original person because I have to try and match their measurements, and I'm and I'm real good at that. Uh, but at the same time, 
you know, in the past, there have been uh, name, uh, high-grade name uh, pipe uh, carvers that uh, uh, want to charge two to three times what I wanted to make a replacement stem. And, uh, and my stems are every bit as good. Uh, I've replicated more Conovitz and Dunhill stems than I can uh, count. And uh, I made a uh, Sixton Everson replacement stem that uh, was uh, very difficult to tell from the original, even by Lars. So I know what it takes to make a good stem and the time it takes, but uh, the question is whether people uh, that appreciate their pipes uh, are willing to pay a reasonable amount. Yeah, and I, I I don't want to inflate your ego or your head any bigger than it is right now because it might bust out the roof. Um, but I have a couple of your stems on my pipes, and they actually smoke better than the originals. Uh, so, yeah, so don't get a big head. Uh, we are going to take a break right here. When we come back, we're going to switch gears and talk about tobacco and tobacco blending and tobacco aging which you've been goofing around with since the day you figured out you like the pipe so (laughs) stay with us we'll be back in just a minute i'm jeremy reeves head blender of cornell and deal pipe tobacco company at cornell and deal we think the best things in life are better with age and we are passionate about creating the best possible pipe tobacco available Fueled by this passion, we introduced the Cellar Series, a collection of blends like no other. While the blends in this series are ready to smoke now, each one has been meticulously designed to optimize depth and complexity as the tobacco ages in the tin. Currently, the Cellar Series is comprised of Oak Alley, Chenay's Cake, Joie de Vivre, Old Grove, and Bourbon Blue, but we will be unveiling new additions to this very special series as time goes on. Pick up a tin to smoke now and save a few for later enjoyment so that you can experience all the richness and subtlety each blend will reveal through the years. Cornell and Deal's Cellar Series. The secret ingredient is time. Contact your local or online retailer for information. Welcome back to the Pipes Magazine radio show. And uh, the big head has uh, swollen back down, right? Yeah, I can move around now. Okay, good. All right, all right. All right, good. All right, so one of the one of the other things that you and I tend to talk a lot about on our uh, chats is um, aging tobaccos, custom further blending, tweaking. Uh, in some cases, we've mutilated some tobaccos. So uh, <laughs> you want you want to tell some stories and uh, and start off with some uh, success stories for us. Well, um, just like I did on the uh, the hardware end of the pipes themselves, uh, when I found out about good tobacco and aging, um, I went off the deep end on that. And uh, the thing that precipitated that was uh, at the 03 Chicago show, uh, Mike Lindner had a 50-year-old tin of Dunhill three-year matured, a four-ounce tin, that he announced he was opening out by the pool. I didn't know what that was, but I thought, hey, if it's for free, I'll go out there. So I went out <laughs> there, and he opened his tin, and it was a cigarette cut and black and uh, 
uh, you know, oily. And I was like, well, whatever, it smells good. And uh, I lit the pipe up, and it was like, it, it was almost a semi-liquid uh, smoke, you know, uh, velvety, thick, uh, you know, concentrated smoke. And I was just kind of like, huh? And uh, Lindner, uh, <laughs> sitting across the table, he, he gloats and uh, looks at everybody and says, how does it feel to be smoking a $9 bowl of tobacco? And I was like, yeah. I got you nine dollar bowl tobacco here, you know. <laughs> so uh, being greedy as I was, um, it's still out there for free. So I smoked the second bowl, and uh, you know I was concentrating and enjoying on the quality. Well, when I got home from Chicago, uh, I went up to the pipe rack website, and I thought, uh, I wonder if this guy has some more of this stuff. And there was a tin identical to that one that he had in Chicago. Listed for four hundred twenty-five dollars, <laughs> and uh, my this was in two thousand three, and it was gone a few days later. And my jaw hit the floor with a thud, and I was like, "Wait a minute here!" So I started uh, looking for uh, vintage tins, and as a lot of people know, McClellan dates there, so it's easy to find vintage tobaccos. And uh, I also became a fan of 5100, so uh, I've gravitated towards McClellan naturally. So prior to 2007, I started accumulating some uh, uh, pre-2000 tins of uh, uh, McClellan's tobaccos and a few others. And then in 07 came, uh, came the, uh, the big article in Pipes and Tobacco magazine, uh, with from Tad Gage about aging tobaccos and storing them, and then the test that uh, they did, uh, courtesy McClellan, with some new versus H tobaccos. And um, based on the tobaccos I had accumulated by then, it, uh, it was exactly parallel. And I was like, oh, man, we got something nice here. Yeah. <laughs> So I just carried on, and, uh, uh, you know, a merry way. And I will add one thing. In 06, by then I had accumulated uh, quite a few pipes from uh, you know, people giving me pipes or just cast-offs and what I called orphans. And uh, anyhow, I finally woke up to uh, smoking pipes, uh, state pipe-buying uh, routine where they'll they'll offer 55% of what they predict they can sell for uh, store credit. Yeah. So long story short, I sent in a big box of pipes, and in return, I got uh, two even bigger boxes of tobacco. <laughs> and uh, all I can say is. Uh, <laughs> one of the smartest moves I've made in my life because uh, at this point in time, uh, I don't need to worry about the uh, what the FDA does or doesn't do because uh, uh, thanks to that and, and the other uh, looking for vintage tobaccos, uh, I'm set. And I, will, I, I, I do know his address, but I will warn you, he's got a vicious guard dog. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And the owner uh, and the resident. People know this, but did, did you know that Maltese are responsible for uh, a number of uh, pit bull deaths? 
around the country? Uh, no. Yeah, yeah. They choked to death. <laughs> okay. All right, I thought you said you weren't going to do any bad jokes this time. Um, <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Got you to laugh, at least. <laughs> Yeah, um, what, so what experiments have you done with tobaccos that have gone awry on you? Oh, God. <laughs> um, Fess up or I'll tell them about the... Uh, I'll tell them about the tobacco to I've a, got. <laughs> trying to make a poor quality tobacco uh, smoke and taste good. Um, as um, a mutual friend of ours has once said... If you don't have good leaf to start with, uh, all you're going to get is processed crap. <laughs> and uh, I, uh, I tried for years to add uh, good tobaccos to marginal, uh, uh, what's it, marginal blends. And uh, I ended up filling two five-gallon um, um, tubs. Uh, you know, paint buckets full of t tobacco that I cast off because it's like, uh, you know, there's just not enough good stuff here to uh, to make it smoke right or, or taste like, uh, you know, it's going to burn my tongue off. And uh, that was about 25 pounds of tobacco, and I ended up uh, giving it away. But uh, I finally learned that... Uh, if you either start out with good tobacco and work on it or else uh, just smoke what you got and enjoy it. How do you store your bulk tobaccos that you're aging? Mason jars. Mason uh. jars. That's one thing I, I did, another thing I did follow properly. Um, and uh, <laughs> in the process of learning about mason jars, I can say this to... Uh, to anybody that's thinking about storing it, do not pack your tobacco very, very tight <laughs> in the mason jars. You Oops. may regret it. Oops. And uh, if you, if you ha yeah, Brian, if you have enough time, I can tell you that because I don't mind telling telling myself. Yeah, no, I just um, have to go loosen up some jars now. Okay, all right. Uh, in, I think it was the 03 or 04 St. Louis show, uh, I picked up four five-pound bags of tobacco still in the original shipping bags from uh, two from McBaron, two from uh, McClellan. <clears throat> and the McClellan tobaccos were uh, 5,100 manufactured in 1999. Well, I took this 20 pounds of tobacco home, which I got for a very, very reasonable price, and all of a sudden, it's like, uh, wait a minute, how am I going to store all this? I'm pretty sure tobacco, you know, plastic's not a good thing. So I asked around. I was told mason jars were the best thing. It's like, good, I can do that. And uh, in the process, somebody used the word, pack your tobacco into there. Uh, well, going over the deep edges is a familiar thing for me. So when I hear the word <laughs> pack, that means... Uh, it needs to be pretty well hydraulically pressed into the jar, just sort of break from the jar, you know. So I did that. I made my own uh, plunger and uh, press, and oh, I pressed <laughs> this 5100 in there. Great. And I mean, it was just like a brick. I left it that way for four years. 
also, uh, oh, at, the, at the time of that uh, P&T aging article, I thought, hey, I've got some 5100 aging. I said, let me check this stuff. Well, by this time, that tobacco had turned almost black. <laughs> and I had to dig it out with a butter knife. <laughs> Still smelled great. I mean, great, uh, you know, pastry type of fragrance and all this and everything. Oily looking, oh, just just real oily. I laid it out there and then uh, let it dry out. And I load up a bowl and uh, at first it it tasted like I had added like forty percent perique to it. <laughs> the the taste of the fifty one hundred Red Virginia uh, was sharp and spicy. I mean, more, much more so than you'll ever get off the shelf. And it was like. Oh my God! I have screwed up ten pounds of good tobacco. So I called around a few people I'd uh, met by then, and they uh, they said, "Well, I don't know. You're kind of going in no man's land. Uh, maybe the best thing you can do is, uh, you know, unpack it all, loosen it up, and, and repack it." So I dumped ten pounds of 5100 back into a big. Um, aluminum foil baking tub in the kitchen and uh, break it all up, fluff it up. You know, it's almost like a crumble cake by then. And uh, pack it or put it back into the jar so that there was uh, air space and, you know, when you shake it in the movement, left it for another three years. Uh, Opened one up again then three years later and uh, it had mellowed a little bit but it was more like uh, uh, more like an oriental blend, you know, with that uh, an oriental spice taste. Still not back to that mellow Red Virginia taste. And and I and I have some uh, 1993 5100 that uh, Hamlin sold in tins in Chicago. So I know what it can properly age like, and it's very um, very mellow. So the only success I had with that was uh, attempting to tone it down a little bit with uh, 5105 uh, Stone Virginia, which has a very deep, uh, you know, soft taste to it. I mixed uh, three parts 5100 to one part 5105. Uh, we let that sit for about a week in a test jar, and it it, it was uh, it was okay. Uh, and, you know, I've got a, what I call a wuss palate <laughs> and suited me, uh, you know, other, other, uh, Greek fans and, uh, Brian can attest to this, you know, say, eh, there ain't a whole lot wrong with this, you know, it sounds, tastes good, you know, but there's still, you know, a little bit on the edge for me. So I've, I've backed away from, um, trying to, uh, reinvent the wheel on tobacco. Uh, blending, uh, because I've gained a whole lot of respect for um, the people that originate this stuff. Uh, they know what the heck they're doing, and uh, the only thing I've learned is uh, what not to do, and that I don't have the facilities to, uh, or, or the smarts to really blend tobacco. So, uh, you know, kind of like that old... Uh, what was that uh, Davy Crockett motto? Uh, you sure you're right, then go ahead? <laughs> <laughs> well, 
So it, I'll be sure I'm right. Leave it alone in my case. So, so if a, I'm if, just happy to smoke the stuff that uh, that I've accumulated and and that '06 uh, stash that I uh, traded in the pipes for. Uh, now being six years old, uh, tastes pretty good. So the, uh, the 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 secret is is that any blend that I get that's just I can't taste anything in, I send it off to you and you like it, and I now have some of that nasty dark fifty one hundred here, and I just kind of sprinkle it into stuff and add it on top of stuff, and it's wonderful. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, you know there there's something for everybody in the pipe hobby. Uh, let me know what and, you're going to uh, screw up next, so, because uh, then I won't buy a bunch of it. Well, I will say this. I haven't tested it yet, <clears throat> but I've got about three pounds of, um, oh, probably some 30-year-old lane leaf that is uh, 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 melding or marrying right now. Um, Uptown's, or not Uptown's, but Music City Marketing had a uh, bag of uh, 500W which I found out was uh, Bright Virginia and Latakia. It was a base leaf for uh, uh, brick and mortars. Ooh. And uh, I got that. I mean, this stuff is older than dirt. Uh, I got that, and it was like, okay, yeah, it sure is uh, Bright and Latakia, but uh, not that smokable. And then um, oh, a while after that, I uh, snagged a one-pound tin of Lane uh, Orienta off the uh, the internet with uh, uh, Mahala Oriental in it. So uh, I I mixed that about I think three to one, five hundred, and, and that was Bright Virginia, Latakia, and Mahala. And I thought, well, same company ought to be pretty close. Uh, that helped, and uh, it was a little more balanced smoke. But then when I read the article, I think it was last year, uh, on uh, Lane's, uh, re, uh, oh, what do you want to call it, uh, resurgence or uh, trying to rec- recreate some old blends, yep. they found that the, uh, the missing original ingredient in Crown Achievement, you know, the, uh, the new Crown Achievement, was Perique. And I got to thinking, well, I've got, I've got all these ingredients here except that. So I made another test jar and added 5% per each. Because, uh, as well as Brian knows, a little goes a long way on per Well, no, not enough and, goes, uh, to, goes the right amount. Well, um, yeah, so yeah, for you, I, I, yeah, I have to admit that. But uh, that 5% per each made so much difference. I mean, it's incredible, and uh, you know, just balance the uh, that whole blend out. So, uh, um, and, and the blend is admittedly a little bit on the dry side, but um, to be honest with you, I prefer um, tobacco a little bit on the dry side. It, it makes for a uh, a smoother, uh, you know, less gurgly smoke. But uh, um, I have a friend that. Um, also lives in North Carolina and is very, uh, uh, very well versed in, in tasting tobaccos. And um, I sent him a jar so just to check out. And, yeah, he, um, he liked it a lot. 
that's enough. Oh, wait, I think I broke my arm pat myself on the back. He, he hasn't thrown away multiple pounds of tobaccos that he's screwed up. <laughs> no, he, uh, uh, he, he learned the easy way, I think. Yeah. Uh, so. now, but it's been fun, though. I don't regret a bit of it. If if you ever see Ronnie B at a pipe show, odds are he's wearing a Hawaiian shirt of some sort, and he's probably laughing at something, most likely himself. So uh, don't don't feel like you're interrupting anything. Just walk up to him. Well, there's plenty of subject matter there, so yeah, you know, I'm not lacking on that. That's yeah. for sure. All right, yeah. real quickly, um, I asked you for a couple of home remedies for us. You know. Stem, how to keep a stem clean, what do you do if a tenon's tight, uh, do any of these home remedies really work, or are they just temporary fixes, uh, what can we do at home to keep our pipes clean and shiny? Uh, first thing, uh, keep the pipes out of the uh, air and sunlight. I keep my pipes in a cabinet, a closed cabinet, and I rarely have to uh, buff off uh, accumulated uh, oxidation, pure and simple. Uh, if you want to display your pipes, uh, unless they're acrylic stems, you're going to have to uh, continually uh, buff them and or uh, use micro sandpaper. Um, for maintenance on vulcanite stems, there's several different companies that have uh, these assortments, but they're called micro mesh finishing abrasives. Um, they're, they're foam back pads. Uh, they generally start out at 1,500 grit and end up at 12,000. <laughs> uh, and they're not cheap. But uh, they can bring a pipe stem to um, about almost as close a shine as you could uh, with a buffing wheel if you have the, the patience. And, uh, you know, that's for regular maintenance. Uh, finish up with uh, just a little dab of olive oil. And rub it in and wipe it off, and uh, uh, you know that works good there. Uh, otherwise, I've used professional equipment, so I can't attest to all these other uh, uh, approaches. Um, I'm not. I, I don't feel like putting bleach inside of a stem, so I've never done it. But that's just my own particular uh, uh, particular feeling there. Um, as far as stem. Tightness or looseness. Uh, if the stem is loose and just a bit that cuts loose, uh, beeswax works real nicely, uh, and it also uh, increases the uh, you know the uh, 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 the slip factor. The uh, um, I forget the technical term. Uh, but on the other hand, well, and and at the same time, on a loose stem. Uh, this age-old idea of uh, heating the tenon with a lighter and then pressing it directly down onto a tabletop or a surface to uh, expand it. Uh, that's the closest thing to insanity I've ever heard. <laughs> so I shouldn't do that anymore? Uh, like the doctor said, uh, don't do it. Okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, I, you know, there's only one way to do it, and it would take a couple minutes to explain it. But, you know, you start out with a cylinder, you want to end up with a, a bigger cylinder. You're not going to do it by making a bulge. Oh. So uh, if anybody's interested, uh, 
uh, they can send me an email, and uh, I'll be glad to describe it to them um, on how to do it properly. Um, but when it comes to a stem that's tight, you know, one that you don't have to stick it in the freezer, try to get it loose, but it squeaks a little bit when you're trying to take it out or put it back in. Um, rubbing it with pencil lead has, has uh, been vaunted uh, uh, for a long time, but that, that doesn't really stick. Uh, there is a product called Guitar Grease that is a graphite paste available from stumac.com. That's S-T-E-W-M-A-C.com, and this is not a paid endorsement. <laughs> but uh, that is a uh, life-saving product right there. Just rub a little bit of that uh, uh, graphite paste on the tenon and gently, you know, sort of screw in the stem. Uh, if, it, uh, if it doesn't slide in e easily or um, it still squeaks a little, Take the stem out and put a little bit more on. It may take two or three applications, but um, uh, I found that to be the by far the most effective lubricant for tight tenons. And uh, Stu Mac also has those micro mesh uh, abrasives available, as does uh, Penn State Industries, the company that makes all that pen turning stuff. Um, one last thing, uh, as far as uh, bowl burnouts or uh, a um, tobacco chamber that uh, oh, the draft hole was drilled high on, yeah. uh, some people can't stand that. Um, there are a few people that apparently have mastered the cigar ash technique of moistening that stuff, putting it in there. Uh, I've not been able to master that myself. Um, so I can't speak to it, but there is a product called Durham's Water Putty, D-U-R-H-A-M, and it's a variant of Plaster of Paris. Huh. has other uh, ingredients to it that is used for repair work and uh, molding and also, you know, filling. Uh, on their web, I double-checked on their website. Uh, last night that, um, um, you know, it's, it's definitely, uh, you know, you get, you got to mold it and get it to the country you want for it dries. And it is uh, very um, um, tough and durable. Uh, they do have, oh, and it's also non-toxic. All ingredients are non-toxic. Uh, they do have one caveat about high temperatures, but they're talking about fireplaces. And uh, I know I, I can get a pipe pretty hot myself, but I don't think I've ever gotten one at fireplace temperature. Yeah. So I would I would classify that as uh, heat resistance. And uh, uh, in fact, I'm going to try that experiment here on a pipe uh, in the next month. But put that in there. Uh, you know, in other words, use that Durham's water putty to rake off the bottom of a bowl a little bit. And then cover that with either a layer of cigar ash or uh, a bowl coating uh, compound, you know, uh, powdered charcoal based. 
Yeah, and you can uh, you can also do that if you've got a little soft spot going in the wall of the bowl and it and you're afraid it's going to burn out, so you just slide that in there and then put a layer of ash yeah. over it and away you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No sense uh, looking at a soft spot and saying, "Well, uh, gee whiz, I guess I'll get a couple more smokes before it burns through." Uh, you know, I'd rather <laughs> attempt to uh, uh, make it better. Yeah. Uh, than uh, you know, commit it to the uh, to the depths of the sea. You know, so uh, that's um, I don't know. That's pretty much uh, the long and short of. It. Home remedies I think of. The, the, oh yeah, the other thing is after a smoke, doing the required uh, pipe cleaner and uh, however uh, people uh, you know decide to coat the bowl with ash inside, uh, cleaning the rim. Uh, it takes about 30 seconds, uh, depending on whether I'm in the shop or not. I'll either use a T-shirt I'm wearing or an old one that's nearby, but. I usually lick my thumb or forefinger, put a little bit of, rub a little bit of saliva on the rim, and uh, wipe it off with the T-shirt. Uh, maybe, maybe you need to do that twice, but that will prevent tar buildup on the rim, becoming a uh, cake on the rim. And, uh, in fact, uh, when I did do uh, restorations, uh, especially on blasted pipes or rusticated uh, the most effective way to remove that uh, tar from the rim was um, hot water and keep <laughs> uh, taking time, but uh, heat and moisture and a bit of friction, um, what well, sounds like a, a, a health lesson right there, but um, um, heat and moisture and friction work the best on that. And, uh, you know, a little bit after every smoke. And then, and then wipe down the bowl with the pipe. I mean, yep. for God's sake, you know, whatever the finish is, uh, I've been holding it. I put hand oil on there. Wipe that off. You know, it doesn't need to look like somebody that uh, was working on an automatic transmission just smoked the pipe. You don't want to be able to get my fingerprints off of it? Not just the fingerprints, the finger uh, sludge. <laughs> Uh, you know, what doesn't need to be the sludge. I'm, I'm uh, and I'm sure anybody who currently restores pipes can uh, nod their heads about the whole things of uh, 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 those that are smoked by uh, affectionately called pipe swine. Uh, that, uh, and, and Boone Lord admitted he was like that. I mean, there's a picture of his favorite pipe on his memorial page, but... Uh, you know, different strokes. Just, uh, just don't ask me to clean up something that you have been willing to do for ten years. Hey, we're gonna take a break right here. Will you uh, stay with us into the music part? Because uh, you're big into music. Will you? Will you do that for us? Oh yeah, I love music. I'm a, I'm a few bars. All right, we'll be back in just a minute. Yeah, but you can't clean the fish. Okay. <laughs> we'll be back in just a minute. 
Do you need a reliable source for ordering pipes and tobacco? Do you find it difficult to get your favorite blends outside of the U.S.? Fournoggins.com stocks all of your favorite pipes and tobaccos and ships all over the world. All forms of payment are accepted and orders are processed the same day. There are no worries when ordering from Fournoggins.com. Fournoggins.com is your source for all of your pipes and tobacco needs. We ship in the U.S. and international with no worries. Fournoggins.com for all of your pipes and tobacco needs. This is Phil Morgan, General Manager of Missouri Meerschaum Corncob Pipes in Washington, Missouri. Our mission since 1869 has been to produce great smoking pipes that anyone can afford. We guarantee our pipes won't be your most expensive, but they just might be the ones you smoke the most. At Missouri Meerschaum Company, we don't just sell our corncob pipes. We grow them, make them, and smoke them. Missouri Meerschaum, Washington, Missouri, since 1869. This is Internet Radio. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show. All right, Ronnie B. from Tennessee, you get the fast five final questions. No right answer, no wrong answer, just whatever comes to your mind. Are you ready? Uh, as ready as I'll ever be. All right, what is your favorite pipe? Conovitz. What is your favorite tobacco? McClellan. All of them. What is your favorite drink? Coffee with cream. When it's time to relax, do you prefer a book, a movie, or music? <laughs> music. No <laughs> no contest. Last question. Do you have a, a short uh, favorite pipe-smoking-related memory? Uh, well, the memory is symbolic of uh, uh, many instances. Uh, spending time with... Uh, great fellow pipe hobbyist at Chicago or any other show and uh, enjoying the camaraderie and the common bond. Nothing nothing compares. To get a hold of Ronnie B., the email address is rbpipeworks at gmail.com rbpipeworks at gmail.com uh, Email him. Ask him all kinds of strange questions. Go right ahead. Please, be my guest. Uh, all right, you get the honor of picking out a piece of music. What did you pick out for us? It's uh, by Bob James, and widely available on YouTube, and the cut is called Bare Bones. So we'll have... Uh, Bob James, good stuff. Bob James and uh, Bare Bones, so uh, here we go.
Well, what'd you think of that? All right, we are running way late, so uh, Kevin, we're going to skip the mailbag and uh, jump right to the final break, and then it'll be rant time coming up next. My name is Shane Ireland, and I'm the pipe manager at SmokingPipes.com. It's my job to source and select the absolute best pipes from all over the world. We take collecting seriously, so you should think of us as your team of personal pipe shoppers. When you browse our site and make your selection, the pipe you've picked out has traveled from the maker to our merchandising and quality control department. It was then given to our highly skilled photographers, videographers, and copywriters before being carefully and lovingly packaged by our shipping team. The pipe you see is the pipe you get, and it's just the one you've been searching for. Whether you're on the hunt for that next special piece to add to your collection or would simply like a recommendation from our extensive selection of tobaccos, give us a call at 1-888-366-0345 and our friendly experts will be glad to assist you. We are quality. We are experts. We are collectors. We are SmokingPipes.com. on this last cruise because apparently a humidor cigar lounge that is piping cigar friendly on uh, deck six seven and eight it was the only the only indoor place that was welcome for smoking of any kind over four thousand passengers on board the ship and you've got a room that seats 16 as the only indoor smoking area that is open to all passengers on the interior decks. So, if a cigarette smoker wanted to go and smoke a cigarette after dinner, they either had to go up to deck 17 and stand outside or go to the Humidor Cigar Lounge because the casino would only let players smoke while they were playing. So, once again, once again, another cruise line company thinks, well, it's okay, we'll give them this room and that's all they'll get. Well, in the past, they had an outdoor area and that got taken away. So, a sternly worded letter is going out to the cruise line saying how they should be embarrassed and appalled at how they treat smokers. When I wanted to go in there with a cigar or a pipe and there was, oh, I don't know, 10, 12 other people smoking at the same time, how comfortable do you think it was to sit back and relax with a pipe or a cigar? How comfortable do you think it was for anybody to stand in there if you had 16 or 18 people smoking in a room that was only 16 seats and there was not a dance floor in there either this room was probably a total of about 20 by 30 no specific air ventilation that we could tell the only air ventilation that they added in there was they opened up the crew access only door so once again a cruise line will get a sternly worded letter from me on the treatment of smokers and we'll uh, i'll report back to you on how it goes all right, uh, hope to see many of you this weekend in Las Vegas at the West Coast Pipe Show. Come by my table, come say hi, come, uh, I don't know, wiggle, wave wave hands at me, preferably with all fingers up. Hope to see you all there. Want to thank Ronnie B. for joining me. Want to thank you all for tuning in and say, until next time, 
bombadida, 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 When we're together, just sing a song and think about sunny weather. Do you make an effort to be obnoxious, or is it a gift?